This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. Hey guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. This week's topic is something we swore up and down we would never cover, never discuss, because it was stupid, and we didn't see the point. Well... Thank you, Russian Bot thirty four fifty six. You made us see the light, and that topic is what we think of reserve list chaff. And by chaff, it means it, well specifically. This was brought on by what happened with Repentant Blacksmith last week, which, if you didn't watch, it went from twenty dollars in Arabian Nights all the way up to eighty to a hundred. Yep. So we picked a few cards to discuss. Uh, that occupy varying spaces of playability and old school, EDH, legacy, whatever. Uh, and just kind of figured we'd say, all right, well, here's, you know, what do we think of this as opposed to this? Mm-hmm. And that's where we're at this week. Yep. Uh, so because Repent Blacksmith was brought up first, we'll take a look at this one real quick. And what's interesting to see about Repentant Blacksmith is that while it does have three printings, only the Arabian Nights printing is the one that jumped, and that kind of clues us into what happened. So we look back at 2017, and we see an initial jump, and that can be attributed to old school. And we see, similarly, uh, a trend there as well that came about last week. And looking at Blacksmith on TCG Player, we're seeing 18 listings total with a low of uh, 30 and a market value right around there as well. Uh, Even Near Mint is about 100 so the spike that kind of came and went. This was a little harder to track down in regards to what happened recently, but what we can track this back to is the initial bump from uh, 2018 that this card saw. Uh, initially, we saw 2017. 2018, it really carries through, despite the fact that the graph shows it goes down. So what we actually found was this is in uh, low-budget, white we need X in old school. So in this article from uh, Baltimore Old School, which is a group that does pop up as being one of the more uh, aggressive is the wrong word here, but active, that's the word I'm looking for, Uh, along with New England uh, groups on the Atlantic coast to play old school. They don't really have their own rule set. They follow a standard set, but they're very active within the community, and they, they punch out just a ton of deck lists. And in this article, it talks about options for the deck as a whole, as this used to be a purely budget deck in the format and with the price of savannah lines just skyrocketing uh, for alpha beta unlimited over time things have kind of gone off the rails in regards to price repentant blacksmith is in this article mentioned as purely a sideboard slot but if you have a lot of red in your meta which is what i expected and where i thought i would see this you move it into the main and it just becomes this efficient little beater that can hold down the forward if you need it to or turn sideways uh, as necessary. So what happens recently is just a drain in supply overall, and then we have some people relisting for a much higher price because we can see that market value on the card has not moved, but average has because people are just relisting well above and beyond what is accurate for this card. Truth be told, this card is not a $100 card. It should probably float back down to 40 over time, but because we are looking at a few people moving into the marketplace, buying up what was available, and just creating this giant delta between what existed previously and where it is now, you're going to see that that spike in the graphs according to stocks. Yeah. 
Uh, and there is, you know, this this is something that we kind of touched on in a previous episode when we talked about the difference between a price correction and a price manipulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, sh- short term, it's very hard to call anything a price correction. Uh, you know, a price correction happens basically when it happens. And that happens with the process of time. Yep. So right now, I, I'm in agreement. I don't think this is a $100 card in OS. There's no reason. It's got the same art with a set symbol in Chronicles, which mm-hmm. in most rule sets is fine. Uh, it, I, I think this is a case where, on something like this, you're looking at a floor of, you know, as Reptard mentioned, about thirty to forty bucks. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I think that, in this case specifically, that's what we're looking at for a floor. Yeah, it's hard to really look at the listings page on TCG Player and see. Chronicles in 5th edition, you know, below 25 cents, and the Arabian Nights uh, version holding such a premium. But again, you know, 18 listings, it's really going to be hard to try and get that card at a reasonable price unless you're buying it from an actual vendor. This is one of those instances, again, where people can just play the TCG player marketplace against itself and see if vendors react, and when they don't, or if you just don't want to spend this, you just go to an actual vendor who has old school cards and knows what their audience will actually buy those cards for because large vendors yeah. don't follow the whims of the free market. They're your rock in terms of yeah. uh, price points for things like this. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, I, I've openly said when I've bought from people like, hey, I'm going to pay a little bit more aggressively on this card because I know I can sell it for more immediately back home. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, exactly what we're talking about here is your old school aficionados or experts whatever would be the ones that would know what this is going to move for but i don't think a hundred dollars is right no not at all people are paying it clearly because there's closed ebay sales but whatever yep yeah ebay's this weird spot between the secondary market and vendors where you have actual vendors posting on ebay but they're still uh at the whims of everybody else on ebay as well you know they'll they'll participate as necessary but mm. There you go. Yeah. Um, the next card on the list we have is Pyramids. And this is a card that's really weird and similarly <laughs> driven by uh, quote unquote old school demand. But the problem is there is no demand for this card. And I'll bring the stocks graph back up because I think this is really important. And this is what we saw with Repentant Blacksmith. And the more you dig into these cards, you'll see this happen time and time again. The market price for this card has been a hundred dollars, while the average is has jumping. I'm sorry, has been jumping all over the place. So what this tells us is that somebody's relisting, nobody's buying. Yeah. And in the case of pyramids, if you were paying attention to MTG Finance a little over or a year ago, somewhere between eleven and thirteen months ago, uh, you would have noticed this show up in Magic: The Circle Jerking. Somebody named yep. Pyramid Schemes comes in and says they got bored and bought out all the pyramids. Then this is a much closer photo of what this person has done. And they didn't do this just once. They did it over time. This was a, a perpetrated scheme, if you want to call it that, you know, per the name Pyramid Scheme. Uh, a pun on many levels. Yeah. And it was kind of a thought experiment of if I buy out the market on an old school playable because it has for some reason seen play in in very old lists and it no longer exists in the format what happens can i make 
TCG player react the way I want to, and can I make buy lists react the way I want to? And that last part is actually the most unique part of this experiment. And yep. to that end, this person was absolutely successful because they had been doing this for months. They were successfully able to move the price yep. of pyramids from what was effectively nothing, you know, $40 up to 80 And because it happened over time people would eventually buy in for FOMO reasons, and thus the buy list numbers would appear, and they could slowly out their copies as necessary, and eventually walk away close to even, even if they have to sit on a ton of these. And because they came out close to even, all the rest of those copies are just gravy. They'll be in the black the moment they decide to turn around and try and out them. And then holding onto them for an infinite timeline, being pyramids being a reserveless card, an old school card. There's not a lot of copies floating around in general. They are going to be able to control the open market and sell them as they see fit. Facebook, TCG Player, wherever, and eventually get out. Uh, this yeah. is a, a noted individual actor in the space. And if you kept your head down during this time, you just kind of missed it as it went by. Yeah, it's. And it's worth mentioning, you know, that this is one of those cases where in the definition of chaff, mm-hmm. in the sense that it's, you know, worthless for playability reasons, not financial reasons. This is something that playability isn't necessarily great, but it does have some financial value. Yes. And it also demonstrates a strategy which we've talked about, which is the slow burn, the slow roll of just mm-hmm gradually picking up a portion of the market rather than just dumping it all at once yeah and you know that was one of the reasons we wanted to highlight this card was because it was something that fits the playability definition of chaff but because the guy was smart enough to do it slowly there actually is a financial viability there Mm -hmm. so there's both sides of the spectrum with those first two that we touched on basically uh you know repentant being something that frankly i see is just bulk old school mm-hmm. uh and the you know 20 to 50 dollar range and then you have something like pyramids which while playability wise as bulk it's certainly not financially and that was something that was really effective was you saw large vendors move their buy lists in accordance with this yeah even though realistically this one guy has enough of those cards that he could kill all the buy lists and the market is dead at that point mm-hmm. uh, so and i like to point out that the playability of pyramids has been fairly volatile over the course of old school because different old school rule sets allow a different number of strip mines and that's what that card is mainly played against it costs six mana so it kind of it doesn't fit everywhere because it costs so much but once you have it on board it's very hard to get strip mined out of the game from there similarly a card like city in a bottle which is also extremely narrow continues to hold its price despite the fact that it really doesn't see as much play as it used to Seeding yeah. a bottle is a card that requires you to play a massive amount, or your opponents to play a massive amount of cards from Arabian Nights because it, it, it literally destroys every card in play with the Arabian Nights set symbol, including the mountain. Yeah. So the more the format is warped around Arabian Nights, the better sitting in a bottle gets. But as uh, deck building prowess and knowledge kind of grew over time the format shifted away from city in a bottle but it will retain its price because it once had utility and it is a very low pop reserve yeah. card it's just very spread out pop. across the community yeah right. so moving away from that we can move on to 
one of what I think is one of the more unique cards on the list because it is the only one of its kind on the reserve list. And this card is actually Wall of Kelp. So, Wall of Kelp did nothing forever and has a $4 price tag. Now, I know we've talked about this card in the past, and the reason this card has a price tag is solely because of, of Arcades the Strategist printed in M19. Whenever a creature with defender enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. Well, Wall of Kelp is the only defender on the reserve list, and it also happens to make additional defenders. So it's an interesting little synergy. However, nobody bought into it. So as we talked about the last time, and I talked about on our Quick, uh, quick Hits episode about this, it was just a flash in the pan from speculators moving in on the only card of its type on the reserve list, and this card just ran up in price and came tumbling back down almost immediately. Then people are going to be left holding the bag on this because there was the perceived demand that might have been there just never came about. And there are just better defenders to play overall. It doesn't matter that they only draw a singular card, but if it's mnemonic wall and it's bringing a card back from your graveyard and the card happens to be a flicker uh, type effect and then you bring back another one, that's going to do way more for you than making one zero one plant a turn or a kelp. Yeah, a zero one kelp yeah. with defender. There are just much better options. This card has been eclipsed by better walls, which is the thing I thought I'd never say about the game of magic, <laughs> but happened to be the only wall on the reserve list. So it was just that laser-focused target that people could pick on. Yeah, and it, it was bought out as soon as Arcades was spoiled, and that's when it hit that you know, $20, $30 range. Mm -hmm. And I remember in the Cabal Discord, we were saying, like, this this isn't real. If you can find it for cheap, dump it to Card Kingdom's buy list yep. because they're paying too much money anyways. And that's what we did. Yep. That, that card was hilarious and awful all at the same time. So, another old school card that we have, and you can kind of pick up a theme here, yeah. is False Orders. And I want to bring up the Stocks graph on this for the unlimited copy. So, False Orders has done almost effectively nothing over the course of its lifespan in the last, you know, decade. It went from almost pure bulk at 30 cents for a rare, uh, all the way up to about $1.50 recently. And this one took a little more digging to find, because while this is, and what I thought it was going to be, an old school card, uh, really doesn't appear that often. It doesn't have a home like Repentant Bat Blacksmith does as, as a budget alternative to an already budget deck. This went in a very specific deck called Bait and Switch, and this is the newest deck list I could find from 2019, which lines up very well with a spike on this card. And basically, you just bait attacks and then switch the blocks to your Thicket Basilisk, which has Death Touch. So you have lore to put on your cockatrice or your de or your basilisk, and you have false orders to rearrange the block uh, the blocks, because it's cheap. It does a better job than is it raging river, mm -hmm. the other red card that allows you to like literally put creatures on each side of the river and reassign blocks. Yeah. And it doesn't do much else than that. It doesn't see any EDH play because there are more different better options like Master Warcraft Much. from the original Rav set that is close to bulk. I think it's the Boros rare. I'll check on that as, as we continue yeah. talking about False Orders. 
But that's basically it for this card. It hit that kind of old school boom, and even the Alpha Edition, Alpha Edition is really just $25. It's not that expensive. No. But it hits around a little after that time period where we actually see it appear in old school magic. But this one was like deep under the covers. Yeah. And it's it highlights what you'd mentioned before about like format specialists and aficionados kind of knowing what's going on mm -hmm. and seeing like, all right, well, I can pay a little bit more for this and no. So if I had to guess, this isn't an instance of we've got, you know, someone with a ton of copies. This is an instance of a couple people in big communities basically have them and distribute them in their community. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the, uh, the price for this card is fine. Alpha, Beta, Unlimited, all of it is fine because there's such limited runs for this card. It's not really iconic. It's not doing a whole lot. It just went from nothing to something, and unless you are embedded and entrenched in some of these formats, you're going to miss the reasons for this. You know. The last one I saved for you. Yes. Uh, so, Reptar just mentioned small print runs for reserveless chaff. Uh, I wanted to talk about Grim Feast. So Grim Feast is something that I've seen as kind of a penny stock for a while. And if you look back on the MTG stocks graph, you can see in June we of 2018, we hit about $3. This was the first time that I personally went super deep on this card. Uh, my goal was to buy it up to $2. I ended up with over a thousand copies of this card that I still have. and. This is something that I thought was a unique effect for EDH. I've mentioned it in the podcast before. Yep. And this, we have a higher print run. And the reason we wanted to highlight this was because, as we'd mentioned in the history of the reserve list, the print run explosion that happened around 5th edition compared to the older cards that created the reserve list hub hub mm -hmm. was massive. So when you talk about the floor for reserve list chaff, it's not as simple as talking about how the floor is on these cards just because they're reserveless. You have to take into account the print runs. You have to take into account old school in mm -hmm. a lot of cases, such as False Orders, Repentant Blacksmith, Pyramids. And then you look at something like Grim Feast. Mirage had an insane print run compared to those sets. So when you want to talk about the price floor on reserve list, it's important to look at something like Grim Feast to keep it in perspective, where you see it peaked at about $3 low, and we had at that point a market of around $275. Keeps that way for a few months, and then we're back to where we were before, where if you look, TCG low prior to the first spike was $0.40. Cents. Now we're at 86 I doubled the floor. <laughs> and, yeah, it's worth noting that When you're determining a floor on reserve list, mm -hmm. you have to, one, consider your print runs. Yep. Two, consider playability. Because chaff is chaff, but chaff can also change. That's why cards from old school that didn't really get a lot of shine back when they were legal in Type 2 are suddenly getting shine now. Because you're having people develop these old school decks with a new school of deck building philosophy and theory crafting where instead of just i'm just going to jam for sarah angels and see if you know i can swing them out of the game you're worried about tempo and setting people back turns and stuff like that that might necessarily might not have necessarily been mainstream deck thought at the time so there's not much demand for this card 
Grim Feast is a true slow burn yep. RL chaff with a high print run. And when you look at a good floor on reserve list, this is not something you really want to take into account. Because on this stuff, on the pretty much 5th edition forward, unless you get into Urza Block, which is a whole different animal. Oh, yeah. Uh, compared to Mirage. You're looking at a floor that's significantly lower than the rest of the reserve list. So on something like Grim Feast, Purgatory, Ember Wild, Gin, Frenetica Freet, mm-hmm. was 50 cents for a long time. And then they printed those coin flip cards in Battle Bond, and suddenly it wasn't bulk anymore through the roof. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, to summarize my thoughts on reserve lift chaff and what you're looking at floor wise, I think that first off, Repentant Blacksmith was flash in the pan. I think in about a month or so, we'll see where that where that price will actually settle. Yep. But I think if you're looking at your old school era, so revised prior or I guess Legends prior. All of that stuff. You're looking at a much higher floor. Mm-hmm. I think your floor for reserve list chaff, at the very least, is about $10 long term. I think post old school era, when you get into the Grim Feasts, stuff like that. Yep. Uh, whatever bad masks card is on the reserve list, because I'm sure there's one. It's got to be. Uh that's when you're getting into well not mask sorry urza stopped urza prior block, to yeah, that yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that's when you're getting into the 50 cent to a dollar territory because of the print runs so when i pick penny stocks from this time period old school is dead to me you can't get reserve list penny stocks anymore out of the old school era no. that boom happened bubble burst it turns out the bursting wasn't that bad because the floor was raised by the sudden lack of supply and when you look into that second wave so to speak of reserve list you're looking at the dollar and that's that's where i am on it yep now i think that's fair and i think understanding the brackets to the reserve list are very important based on uh playability and i i do like highlighting the urza's portion of the reserve list because almost everything on there save for wither seed tree folk is insane yeah, and that era of reserveless is just going to hold the shine that nothing outside of ABU is really yeah. going to to have. And understanding now that with old school becoming a format, the idea of cheap alpha and beta uncommons and rares is also gone. Regard regardless of the fact that they might not be omnipresent in the format, or they might not be. Yeah, even thought of for certain formats, something like false orders, you know, twenty five dollars isn't cheap for an alpha rare. No, but it's not expensive either. And if you were to buy in at twenty five, chances are you're going to lose out in the long run because there's just no demand for that card. Something else that I, I think is also worth taking into account is keeping up on certain interesting effects within the reserve list. So something like Second Chance just kind of stuck by for a very long time. Second Chance is uh, an enchantment that uh, if you are five or less life, you can sacrifice it and take an extra turn after this one. While they printed uh, 
Hall of Heliod's Generosity or whatever that card is from Modern Masters, the land that allows you to put an enchantment back on the top of your library so you can effectively, for something like four or five mana, just take infinite turns once you're at five or less life. Yeah. And that is a very powerful effect to know about on the reserve list. And if you were able to get in at... And I'll bring up uh, stocks real quick. You can see exactly when it happened. If you got in when it was a, a dollar or two, you're making, you know, mint on this card. If you got in, you know, later, uh, even just before the Modern Horizons announcement, as, as of this point, you're getting hosed. Yeah. You're not making anything on this card. So it's really important to understand what's on the reserve list and be able to kind of navigate it properly uh, for that. When it comes to these weird things, Repent and Blacksmith, again, we'll point out because it's non-reserve list, that is, you know, deep format knowledge. Yeah. And that is so, you know, something we've talked about early on when it came to Oathbreaker. It's another EDH format that's going to change the way speculation works for EDH. And is it something you want to pay attention to? Yes, probably. But do you need to pay as much attention to it as you do regular EDH or CEDH? Probably not. But you'll also be paid off for it if that's what you wanted to focus on. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is again pointing to the fact that you can make money if you want to be a format specialist in regards to finance but you really have to be on your game for that yeah you do and that's and if if you are not on your game if you know someone who is sharing that knowledge and having someone who like plays a bunch of old school and you're like hey what uh what are you seen playing at the tables lately yep just like picking their brain a little bit does give you a little bit of an edge there yes absolutely so. Uh, I think that's it for RL Chaff. We don't want to stay on this too long because then we'll get stuck stuck talking about it forever. Because there's a yeah. lot of Chaff there. Boy, is there. Uh, so if yeah. you're good for picks, I'm ready to let you talk to us about why you're picking this card. <laughs> uh, all right. I didn't... I said I wouldn't do it. I'm going to do it. Guys... We need to talk about Sarkin's Unsealing again. <laughs> this card just got reprinted again. I still think that this card is long-term an absolute rock star. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a red enchantment with way too much text. It just got reprinted in Jumpstart, which everyone, you know, the value tanked. Well, we got a problem with Jumpstart. It's not anywhere. Yeah. It's so, underserved, but for the time being. Yeah. And so we are back to the levels of bulk rare status for Sarkin's Unsealing, where we are looking at 25 cents. And 25 cents is literally what cool stuff will pay you for, like, bulk mythics. They'll pay you 10 cents for a bulk rare. So 25 cents for this seems pretty decent. If you're a believer like I am, you probably put way too much more money into it after the jumpstart release happened and you realized that the supply was going to be short. Oh I think that this took our window from six months to about 12. Yeah. Thing is, I don't think this is getting reprinted anytime soon, especially at this rate now, because not, I think Wizards now wants to have rock stars every set. Yeah. Look at Double Masters. What a dumpster fire that has been for mtg finance 
Uh, I mean, it's been great, obviously. But if you had any modern collection, you got hosed by that set. Boy, did you. So I think that highlights the opportunity now that one of your best spots for financial gains is your bulk piles. You talk to any large vendor and everything you ask, you know, where's where's most of your money made? Like cool stuff, miniature market, card kingdom. It's their bulk. Mm -hmm. Combing through that bulk for quarters to dollars to two dollars, because that's where people fill out their orders. That's what you're looking at getting when you want a high margin, low cost item. So I think that, you know, you can get in 25 cents. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Get a hundred of them. That's twenty-five bucks. Sure. It it will inevitably you will double your money. Great. That yep. that is. I will eat my hat if it does not hit a fifty-cent buy list at some point in the next year. Uh, Three hundred sixty-five days from today, August third, twenty twenty-one. I will eat my hat. We'll re If it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> now I I still like Sarkin's unsealing because it just puts in work, and I think yeah. it's just you know, another EDH video away from actually seeing more demand than it has in the past. Uh, yeah. Jumpstart, again, brought eyes to it, just like Mystery Boosters brought eyes to a number of cards, but the problem is that perceived supply is not as great as it is, so it just tanks the price for the time being. So any kind of price correction that we saw for a lot of those cards uh, should reverse in time. Yeah. But uh, until we actually move out of Jumpstart era, probably into Zendikar, we won't really see a correction on on something like Sarkhan's unsealing. Yeah. I don't, I'm, there's kind of a call for Watsi to move away from printing uh, big dumb EDH things for standard sets, or even into draft sets, so if they wind up doing something like that and just putting it in these banger master sets instead, um, they did state with double masters they did not have the time to actually create anything new, it had to be an entire reprint set. We might... But yeah. If they had the time to do it, then they might actually get around to moving a lot of what we're seeing, these EDH-themed cards, to those sets, which then puts a little more pressure on decent EDH reprints into more master sets instead of standard. Which also crowds the space at that point, because if you're only doing one or two master sets a year, you have fewer reprints you can hit. Yeah, you're at, yeah. And then you might see them in Commander decks or not. And I think this is one of those things just like Blasphemous Act that is just going to sneak away from people real quick once they realize how good it is and how yeah. uh, good it can be. So, uh, I like the pick, and I did give you crap because it was literally an Episode 2 pick. But uh, yeah, much like some of our other picks, you got to keep eyes on this stuff, and I think it's this is a, a good time to remind people that this is a card that does not get as much love as it should yeah uh, i too this weekend picking a big flashy red card but instead mine's a dragon my mine is set non-foil utvara Hellkite. yeah uh, for anybody wondering this dragon does nothing more than make more dragons so you can understand why there is demand for this card among casual players and this card has been done nothing but climb over the last uh, month or so and the stats yeah. on this thing is ridiculous in regards to uh, price change. When I initially started checking in on the CK, was buying 22 at a dollar. When I started this write-up last week, they were buying 42 at 225 and they are now buying 43 at 250 So this card is doing 
up, 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 up. In a month, it doubled on their buy list. Yeah. So there is constant demand for this card. And it is a big, dumb dragon, like I said, and it makes more dragons. So where do you expect to see this? Well, in the dragon deck. And as we talked about all, all the time, we, didn't, we yeah. didn't just talk about it. We always talk about it. Themes like dragons, angels, uh, now cats and dogs, mass hysteria, are going to be more and more common as more and more people enter the, the format. Excuse me. And Utvara Hellkite slots into a lot of great decks that aren't just super pillow 40 and casual. If you look at the list of, of top commanders, it goes in everything from Mono Red, Zerlin of the Claw, to Sign of the Ur Dragon decks. Yeah. So it runs the gamut on five uh, across every kind of strategy you can look at. If this is an aggro card, an aggress uh, a control card. It is a, a mid-range uh, card. And the interesting thing I like about this in regards to the format is that because it's almost ubiquitous and is not a utility card like Savage Vent Maw, you don't need a lot to kind of make this card pop. If you yeah. play something like uh, Lathis or Broodmate Dragon, Bladewing the Risen or uh, Wazatora, almost every one of these dragons ETBs and makes or brings with it another dragon. So you're immediately swinging those two or three and you're making a token for each one of those, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you just create one more. Nope, it's a trigger in all of them. So you create just oh, yeah, no, mass triggers, right? Each. Yeah, yeah, it's a mass trigger. So your tokens double. Yep. Because it important distinction, it does not say non-token dragon. Yes, exactly. That, that's why it works with all those. Yeah. As I said, a, a brain fart for a moment. So it is very easy to just kind of go off on your top end with a small number of dragons because they make reanimate or bring with them, you know, just... A bunch of 6-6 six, six flyers. Yep. Uh, exactly. Which closes out which close out the game very, very quickly. I think at the table, I don't think I've been afraid of any other dragon besides the uh, before, Scale Lord Reckoner. When, uh, it's, it's a white dragon, and it just destroys non-land permanents whenever you target a dragon. That's the only yeah. other dragon I've ever been, been afraid of at the table besides uh, Udvara Hellkite. Udvara Hellkite is a must answer because it just ends yeah. games. So... Seeing as this is in RTR and it was in Commander 2017 and it was in the guild kits, we did see a little bit of a slowdown on price, uh, some back and forth, a little bit of up and down. Uh, yeah. I like the set version because it's the original version. It's the same art throughout. There's no border change, but there, um, generally speaking, but there is the hollow foil that was added later on. And the timeline for this, I think, is going to be... Six months, it'll be an $8 card, and right now I would move in on as many copies as I could that are below $6. I think that's a fine buy-in because yeah. when we're looking at out nine months to a year, this card is going to be 12 to 15 if our uh, price slope stays the same. The only set that we know of that we have to dodge a reprint in is Zendikar, and Zendikar is not a dragon set. Yeah. Never has been. I don't think Thankfully. Yeah. And we, do, we still don't have the slate of next year, what's coming out. We could see a reprint in 2021, or not, or... Return to return to return to return to Ravnica. Yeah, or in the Commander set, but if we're lucky, and in that 9... My, my, my thought process is, for that 9 to 12 months, we do not see a reprint. That's when this will be a $12 card, and you'll be able to get out pretty easily on the back end. And it's also very hard to beat this card in regards to, like, Dragon Power ranking. So it's not like something else is going to come in, unless it literally makes... Two tokens. Yeah. Well, 
the way they've been designing, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you never know. You never know. So that because this is again like super casual because you can just play it in the dragon's deck and it is fairly accessible uh, right now at I'm seeing four dollars and forty cents for near for the cheapest Nearman copy. This is a card that every, that a lot of players can afford right now. I don't want to say every a lot of players can afford and it like I said it goes in the dragon deck. It goes in the non dragon deck that wants to be aggressive and just have a great top end with something like yeah. Broodmate Dragon or Karthus Tyrant of Junt. You only need a couple of dragons. Uh, even a Sarkin Planeswalker works. Or uh, it's something a little more controlling. You know, uh, Jeskai or whatever, where you might play Intet the Dreamer, the, Jes the Jeskai Dragon. Or something that's uh, in the middle. That's four color, just like four or five color good stuff with a couple dragons in the high end. It just slots in the mall. There's nowhere where yep. this doesn't go. It's not quite the soul ring of dragons, but it's getting there. And I, I think it's worth mentioning as well when it comes to reprint risk, the foil is also around $12. And if you look at the stocks graft, it's been pretty steady. Uh, it held steady at around 10 between Oath and RTRTR. And once RTRTR hit, since we were in a set that obviously cares about dragons, that price did go up. So another thing that is good for this is while, yes, you have to worry about reprints and dragon sets, if it's not reprinted, it only gets more valuable as they print better dragons. Yes. So. Absolutely. I think it's a good one. Yeah, just one of those things I keep in my back pocket for a rainy day. Yeah, smart. So uh, I think that's going to be it for this week, guys. We might touch on the BNR next week but as that primarily affects only digital magic there's not a lot for us to talk about since we're mainly uh physical card boomers yeah yeah physical magic boomers over here so uh if we get to it it might just be uh on twitter or the discord so if you want to you know get at us about what we think or some finance stuff where we think the format's going to go what to look into in the short term and the medium term uh, headed into september you know feel free to uh, hit us on Facebook or MTG Cabalcast there on Twitter at MTG Cabalcast, Patreon at MTG Cabalcast. Uh, we still respond on YouTube as yep. uh, actively as we can. Otherwise, if you want to come direct, uh, I am at Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you guys next week. See ya.